don't know if I've shared this with you guys. Maybe I have, but um, Mother's Day is one of the more intimidating days if you're a pastor. And uh, I mean, think about it for a, spec- for a second from my perspective. You know, I, I'm going to talk to moms today, and I've never been a mom. I've never been a woman. And beyond that, I'm kind of a stereotypically male guy, which is my way of saying I have issues understanding probably what it's like to be a mom and a woman. In fact, I was talking to my wife this past week on the phone, and I said, you know, at the beginning of this message, I really want to kind of get into the heart and the mind of a woman, and I want to articulate what that's like. And I was expecting the usual encouragement that I get from her when I say things like that. (laughs) And what I got initially was about three seconds of silence and then hysterical laughter. (laughs) She didn't snicker. She wasn't trying. I mean, it was guffawing, okay? And about 20 minutes later, when she collected herself... Wiped away her tears and blew her nose. She said, she said, you know, I, I think that if you're going to do that, you really ought to run your ideas by me. So, I mean, I have that going for me. It's tough. Mother's Day is intimidating, you know, and to make matters worse, I haven't always shown the greatest judgment on this day. My first Mother's Day here, I'm just going to confess this as a sin today. Uh, and many of you were not here. So my first Mother's Day here, the passage of Scripture that I, ta- I chose, and this is a true story, no kidding, was out of Ephesians 5. It tells you where the husband is the head of the wife, and the wife must submit to her husband. That, that's really true. I still have the notes. That's almost scary, isn't it? I mean, I look back on that, and it's one of those things in life that you look back on, and you don't even recognize yourself. You just think, who was that person who did that? Now, listen, in my defense, and it's going to be short because there's not much to say, it's in the Bible. Okay? And it is so radically misunderstood. If you did understand it, and I'm sure that's what I was trying to explain that day, it wouldn't be threatening. It would be exalting to women. But anyway, the point is it's an intimidating day, and it's intimidating for reasons that are completely unrelated to me as well. I mean, if you think about this, a lot of women come to church on this day, and for them, this day is not a day of celebration. This day is not a day of joy. This day is not a day of affirmation and of woohoo for them. It's not. What this day is for many women, if we can just be perfectly frank, is it is an annual reminder of a dream that never came true. I mean, one of the things that is true for almost every one of us is we grow up with certain expectations, and foremost among them, it seems to me, is that we will fall in love and that we will get married, and then that after that, we will have children. And it doesn't work out that way for everybody, and when it doesn't work out that way for everybody, it can be a really painful deal. But here's the thing. You have a mom, and your friends are moms, and you're a firm motherhood. You're all about that, and so it's woo-hoo out here, but in here, it's boo-hoo. This is a difficult day for a lot of ladies, and if that's you, I would remind you, please know that the imagination of the Bible when it comes to motherhood is so much bigger than just that which is physical. It's so much bigger. You can have child after child after child that you train up in the faith and who will forever call you mom. But it's a day that comes with all kinds of attachments. You know, for other moms, if you think about this, today is not an annual reminder of the children they didn't have. It's an annual reminder of the children they did have and of devastation and of tragedy and of broken relationships and of disappointments and of failures and of... And they collect it all up and they come in with a smile. It's Mother's Day. 
for a lot of the rest of us who have lost our moms, perhaps. You know, this is an annual reminder of the mom we once had and miss profoundly on a day like this. And then to top it all off, I think Mother's Day is intimidating just because motherhood, period, is scary. It's scary, isn't it? And I I will say this, guys, please listen to this. I think that the women, the moms, feel the weight of parenting, well, a whole lot more than we do. I really believe that. I remember when we had our first child almost 16 years ago, we brought this precious, beautiful little person back to this dinky little apartment that we had in the city of Chicago. And I remember laying her in her bassinet and looking at her for the first time that first night that we spent together in this apartment and thinking to myself, good grief, if we don't come through for this kid, she's going to die. Literally. I mean, seriously, if we don't feed her, if we don't clothe her, if we don't bathe her, if we don't, if we don't, if we don't, if we don't get her to the doctor, if we don't. I mean, it was like overwhelming. I was in a daze for three weeks. And then you know what happened? I don't know if it's just because I'm stereotypically male, but basically what happened is I realized after about three weeks, I think my wife kind of has a handle on this and we're doing all right with it. (laughs) And I don't need to worry about it anymore hey, I just kind of moved on. Now, that's not to say I've left all concerns and all things parenting behind. It is to say my wife has not moved on quite to the degree that I have. You feel it far more profoundly, don't you? You just do. Being a mom is scary. And I think it's scarier today than it's ever been. And look, everybody says that. But what if everybody's right? Think about that. Every generation has been right about that. Think about some of the decisions moms today have to face. You bring this child into the world, and no sooner do you do that, but you have to make the call on breastfeeding. you got to do it. Am I going to do it? Am I not going to do it? Is it going to be three months, six months? You know, is it going to be a year? Do I have to show up for lunchtime in kindergarten? How is this going to (laughs) work? How long does this go on? And everyone has an opinion. And everyone thinks their opinion is right. Then there's vaccinations, because you got to make the call on that too. Are we going to vaccinate or are we not going to vaccinate? And if we vaccinate, which vaccinations are we going to choose? Can you do that? I mean, is it like a menu? Can I, I'll take this one, I'll take this one, this one I don't even want in the building when I show up for this. This one, this one, not this one, this one, this one, maybe that, I don't know, I'll let you know when we get there. It's a big deal. Moms feel the weight of that deal. Here's a new one for you, organic versus non-organic food. Are you going to put that poison in your baby's mouth? Yeah, I'm going to put the whole jar in there. (laughs) And then if he's hungry, I'm going to open another one. But think about that. Moms, think about that. We guys, I mean, we may think about it, but, you know, mostly we're irritated by vicarious, you know, deal here. I mean, it's through them that it comes to us, generally speaking, you know. In our minds, we're going, I don't know why you're so worked up. I mean, I was vaccinated and I ate, you know, non-organic food. And, I, you know, and meanwhile, your wife who's read all the studies is going, well, that explains a lot. <laughs> Scratch that vaccine off. And who's right and who's wrong? You know what? I have absolutely no idea. But I do know that you can spend the rest of your life reading about it on the internet. And, and, and I do know also that you will have a lot of people in your life who love you, who, who want to support you, who want to be there for you, all of which you have not a mildly held opinion on any of these things. And who will either intentionally or unintentionally, because you know what? Sometimes it's just the way we hear it. It's not what they mean. 
communicate to you that if you disagree with them, well, then maybe, you know, you're just not so great at this motherhood thing. Wow. And it doesn't get any easier as they get older. You know, they get a little bit older and then you've got to pick a school. Is it going to be a public school? Is it going to be a Christian school? Or are you going to homeschool? Do you know anyone who has mildly held opinions on those issues? Anyone? Come on now. And it's cell phone and texting and Facebook. Do you have Facebook? Do you not have Facebook? Are you okay? If Facebook is of the devil, it's not of the devil. It's... Do you know this person's on your child's Facebook page? And You ever gotten that call? Seriously. It's scary to be a mom, guys. It's like there is this never-ending string of decisions out there for you moms that all seem enormous at the time, don't they? And every single one of them seemingly reflects on your competence or incompetence as a mother. Good grief. Motherhood is scary, and Mother's Day... Mother's Day is intimidating. And then finally, I think Mother's Day is intimidating a little bit, and motherhood is scary because all of you ladies, all of you moms have this picture in your mind of who the perfect mom is, and it's never you. You never wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and say, there she is, the perfect mom. (laughs) Take a picture, pass it around, because it's me. Had a lady come up to me after after the first service, and she said, you know, here's the deal. You finally figure it out, and they're gone. But then she said, but now you have grandchildren, so it's cool. It's like you get to start all over again. But really, you have this picture in your mind of the perfect mom. It's not you. It's your mother-in-law. It's your mom. It's your sister, your sister-in-law. It's somebody in the family. It's, you know, it's somebody that you know. It's a friend. It's a series of friends. Oh, they're all so good at this. And I'm brutal at it. You know, it's that woman down the street with 93 kids. They're all well-behaved, and they say bizarre things like, yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. They're clean all the time. All of their clothes match. She must dress them in granimals. It's stunning. That's the perfect mom. The perfect mom is that one who's, you know, everywhere and always on time. And when she shows up, she looks good. Her clothes all match. They're pressed. There's nothing stained on them. Her hair is coiffed. Her makeup is done. You're thinking, man, if I can just get a shower every three or four days, you know, this is a good thing. This is a big deal. If I can just take a shower, I'm ahead of the game. Well, speaking of games, the perfect mom's at every game. She's at every practice. She's at every rehearsal. She's at every audition. She's on the PTA, the PTF, Mothers Against Drunk Driving, and the school board. It's amazing what she does. She's a good cook. She's an organizational genius. Cursor, she can sew. She's stunning. She's creative. She teaches her kids, you know, how to communicate with her in sign language before they can speak. The only sign language your kids knows is what they picked up from the motorcyclist on the way to school when you were running late and cut him off. And they know that's naughty, so they told everyone in their preschool class. Oh, joy. The perfect mom even excels you spiritually. She's up at 5 o'clock in the morning, and she does her devotions in Greek, okay? It isn't you, is it? It's not. And just when you finally feel like, you know, you're getting a handle on this thing called motherhood, you show up for church, (laughs) and it's Mother's Day, so that some stereotypically male guy who's never been a mom, who's never been a woman, whose wife laughed at him when he thought maybe, possibly, I could articulate something that might resemble what it might be like, and hopefully just got proved wrong, um, 
gives you more things to add to the list. And it's not what I'm going to do. I'm not going to call you to a list. I'm going to call you to the Lord. Our God doesn't call you to a list of decisions, though there are many decisions that you must make. He doesn't call you to a list of things to do, though there are lots of things you do, lots of things you do. It's overwhelming how much you do. He calls you to a relationship with Himself and for you to give your all to Him, for you to be His servant. That's the measure of motherhood. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. So to that end, I want to look at the most famous mother ever. I know that's intimidating, but hang here with me. She's not famous because she made all the right decisions and was everywhere and on time and had Jesus dressed in granimals. She's famous for giving her everything to the Lord in His service and to this calling of motherhood. And she's famous for what the Lord, by the Holy Spirit, then produced in and through her. Her name is Mary, and what He produced in and through her is Jesus. And I want you to think in those categories. I want you to think about that. Luke, who likely interviewed Mary herself, says this. He says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And listen, if it was Christmas, I could give you a half an hour right here on this sentence, but it's Mother's Day. So let me just point out one thing. One of the things we learned from this is that Mary, in her culture, in her setting, in her day, was not the person that we think of when we think of Mary today. I mean, we exalt Mary, we revere Mary, and you know what? We ought to. But in her day, she was a nobody. Culturally speaking, Mary was a nothing. No one would ever have expected anything significant to come from Mary. Nothing at all. Probably including herself. You know, the reality is that Mary was a Jewish slave to the Roman Empire, the most powerful empire in the world at that time, which put her people down politically, economically, socially, and in every other fashion. The indignities that her people and Mary herself suffered at the hands of the Romans were great. But not only was she a Jewish slave to the Romans, there was some indignity of just about being her within the context of her own people, some devaluing of that in that First of all, she was a woman, and don't take this the wrong way, ladies, I know that it's Mother's Day, but in the first century, it was male-dominated. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. You know, one of the rabbinical writings said, let not a man speak to a woman in public, not even his own wife. That says a lot. It tells you of the place of women in that day. Well, Mary was a woman, and beyond that, Mary was a young woman. She's probably 12 or 13 years old. It is possible that you're going to learn something today from a teenager. Don't tell anyone if you do, but it's, it's possible. She's 12 or 13 years old, and she's 12 or 13 years old in a culture that valued gray hair as we should. But she's disregarded, you see. Beyond that, she's a peasant. She's poor. She has no social standing. She has no political influence of any kind. And then beyond that, she's from Nazareth. And if you want to know how even her own people felt about the Nazareth people, you know, those folks from up in Galilee, look no further than that story of Nathaniel. Philip comes to faith in Christ. He finds the Messiah, right? So he runs and he finds Nathaniel and he says, hey, we found Jesus. He's the one, Jesus of Nazareth. I bet he choked on that word. What does Nathaniel say? He says, Nazareth quote, can anything good come from Nazareth? Now, hang on a second. This woman, Mary, this mom, well, she's from Nazareth. 
And yet this is the woman, this, this peasant Jewish slave girl of the Roman Empire from Nazareth of all places, who was given the privilege not just of conceiving, not just of giving birth to, but digest this a little bit, okay, feel it on her behalf for a second, but of raising God's son. So if you think motherhood is intimidating to you, put her sandals on. Wow. I think she can relate. Luke says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her, and I, and I love this. Listen to what he leads with. He says, greetings, O favored one. And then what? And the Lord is with you. He knows that motherhood is intimidating. He hasn't even dropped the motherhood bomb on her yet. He's about to, but he leads with something that he knows she needs first to hear, which is A, she is favored by the Lord God, and B, God's with her. Now, hang on a second. I know that you're not Mary, okay? And I'm not Mary either, but what does the Bible teach about those of us who have faith in Christ? Are we not the beloved of God? Over and over again we read about this. All throughout the Scriptures we read of the great love of the covenant God for His covenant people. We bear the favor of Christ and of the God of the universe in our lives. And parenthetically, the Lord is not just with you, He lives in you. And I don't know, but I think that's a nice reminder on Mother's Day, you know, as you walk in here and full of your insecurities, full of your ineptitudes. I mean, just kind of coming to grips with the fact that, hey, you're never going to be everywhere on time. Sorry. If your kids are dressed and not naked, it's a win. Who cares if they match? You know, if you've got a stain on your shirt, so be it. Makeup is something that happens once a month, maybe. Comparing, comparing, comparing with the perfect moms. And as Satan comes in, he whispers in your ear, and he will. You don't have what it takes. You don't have what it takes. You don't have what it takes. And as you feel the weight of the judgment of other people as they weigh your judgments, as you weigh your own, you are the beloved of God. You are the favored of the Lord. And He has not left you alone. For the Lord is with you. Greetings, O favored one, the angel says. The Lord is with you. And then Luke says, but Mary was greatly troubled at the saying. I mean, you know, it's not often that this happens. And, and she's trying to figure out what in the world it is that he's saying. She tried to discern what sort of a greeting might this be. I mean, what exactly does it mean to be the favored one of God? What does it look like? And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. That's the second time, by the way, he said that. And here's what that looks like in this context of motherhood. He says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So then the favor of God looks like Jesus. In particular, it looks like the giving birth of Jesus. And again, in a very different sense. Well, that's true for me as well. And that's true for you as well. I mean, clearly, it's not the desire of God to give physical birth to Jesus Christ through you or I. We got that. However... Is it not the desire of God to see you conformed to the image of His Son? Is it not the desire of God that Christ be formed in you? 
that you begin to look like him. I think it is. Be tough to argue with. I think that God's goal for you, mom, is not conformity to the image of the perfect mom according to the latest edition of Parenting Magazine or your friends or your... It's just not. Helpful stuff. I'm not arguing with that. But God's goal was conformity to the image of Christ. And in the end, whether you breastfed or not, you know, or for three years or five years or nine years, whether you vaccinated or you did this one but not that one and that one but not this one and then this one but we don't want that one and don't even have that one in the room, whether you went organic or non-organic and a whole lot of it. I'm not saying those aren't important decisions, but I think in the final analysis, you're not going to be all that concerned with that. I think that what really matters in the final analysis is whether Christ has been formed in you, whether that's who your children see when they look at you. But that too is overwhelming, isn't it? And the angel said to Mary, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he is. And will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And then Mary asks the obvious question. She said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? She's saying, look, naturally speaking, I I can't do this. And notice the answer because it's the same for us. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, again, we're not giving birth to Jesus. So there's a different sense here involved. But he's saying, look, what you are incapable of doing in your own steam, in your own self, in your own strength, the Holy Spirit is going to do in you. And the Holy Spirit is going to do through you. And that's true for us too. I mean, the reality is I can't form Christ in me. I can't manufacture Jesus in my heart and life. Left to myself, the only person that my children are going to see in me is me, and they've seen enough of me already. It's not that impressive. But he doesn't leave us there. You see, I need the Holy Spirit, and so do you, to give birth to Christ in me, if you will, and then to reveal this Christ who lives in me among other people, to my kids. I need for God to do what only God can do. So Mary hears this charge, you know, give birth to Jesus, and she's like, whoa, 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 this is beyond me. And the angel says, well, yeah, but it's not beyond the Lord. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, The child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And so then having given her, her primary companion in this thing called motherhood and her primary resource, he then adds this. He says, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month after we're with her who is called barren. And so what is he saying? He's saying, hey, God has sovereignly placed in your life another person who's experiencing a supernatural birth. A little different but supernatural nonetheless. He's saying, for nothing is impossible with God. He's saying, listen, God has placed in your life somebody who can sympathize with you, somebody who can identify with you, somebody who can understand what it's actually like to be you, at least on some level that's meaningful. 
And if you carry that analogy further, then maybe, you know, that's your mom, or maybe that's your mother-in-law, or maybe that is your friend. But I want to add to the list, if you're married, that's your husband, or at least it ought to be. Now, I know that his name is not Elizabeth, and unless you're from West Virginia, it's unlikely that he's your relative. But but he has been called and placed sovereignly in your life to be your companion in all of life, including this thing called motherhood, and he's been charged with the responsibility of striving to understand what it's like to be you. Listen to what Peter says. 1 Peter 3, verse 7, he says, likewise, husbands, and then he doesn't give us a suggestion. He doesn't say, likewise, husbands, I have found and studies prove that this was really helpful in your marriage. I read about this in a book. I haven't tried it, but I thought this was a cool idea, so I'm passing it on to you. He says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives. How? In an understanding way, which in this context means that we husbands and dads need to realize the pressures, the frustrations, the insecurities, and the vulnerabilities of motherhood. And we need to find meaningful ways to communicate to our wives that, okay, maybe we don't get it completely, but we get it at least in part. I mean, the reality is the reason I spent so much time on the front end of this message talking about, or at least trying at least to articulate, you know, this is kind of what it's like is not to prove a point. Really, it was to help me to interact with it and maybe to help some of you guys to understand a little bit of what it's like because the reality is, you know, God gave Elizabeth to Mary and God has given you, husbands, dads, to your wives. We are to live with them in an understanding way. It takes effort. So anyway, the whole story ends with this. The passage ends with this glorious statement by Mary, and it's so wonderful. She says this, Luke 1, verse 38. It says, Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord, okay? And so therefore, I will endeavor to make all of the right decisions and do all the right things. I'm sure she did endeavor to make all the right decisions and do all the right things, but But that's not what she says. She says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And with that statement, she surrenders absolutely everything. Is there anything that she did not surrender that you can think of? Even her body. It's remarkable. So Mary's remarkable. She's famous, but why? Well, it's not because she got every decision right. It's not because she did everything right. You know, it's not because everyone went, oh, there's the perfect mom, you know, and it's because she surrendered her everything to her God and in service to her Lord. And she's famous for what the Lord then did by His Spirit in and through her, which is the production of Jesus. So go forth from here encouraged, please, today. Knowing that you as moms, I mean, you know, in Christ, the favor of God is upon you and He hasn't left you lonely, even though at times you feel like He has. The Lord is with you and He can produce Jesus in you and reveal Jesus through you 
to your kids. Because again, in the final analysis, that's what matters. That's what counts. So to that end, this morning, if you're a mom, we'd like you to raise your hand. We've got a little gift for you. And our deacons are going to kind of distribute these. Uh, It's a little refrigerator magnet. It's made by uh, one of the moms who actually is one of the leaders in one of our mom's ministries. And And our mom's ministry, by the way, I think is meeting this Friday. So if you're looking for great encouragement and other ladies that you can talk to and who can identify and sympathize with you. It's a great uh, way to kind of get plugged in, and it's a great resource for you as a parent and as a mom. But it just has this one verse on here, the last verse of the passage that we looked at today, where it says this, Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. See, that's our prayer, that every time you see this, that somehow you'll hearken back to relationship with God and to your calling to be His servant and to the great task of letting His Spirit form Christ in you. Okay? All right, if you're a mom, would you just stand today? Because we want to pray for you. And yeah, I think that's great. Let's pray for them and bless them, okay? Father, we thank you uh, for this day set apart in which, first of all, God, we pray that you have been honored, that your son has been lifted up, that your gospel has been sung and heard and understood. But we thank you also for these moms, and we pray that they have been honored. God, we thank you for calling them into our lives. Lord, we thank you for their gifts and for their abilities. We thank you, Father, for the way that they have served not only you, but in service to you. Wow, they have really served us too. Lord, I pray for these women that you would lift them up, that you would encourage them, that you would draw them to yourself, that you would strengthen them where they are weak, that you would shore them up where they are insecure. God, that you would impress upon them your favor that is not theirs by their merit, but is theirs by your gift through faith in your Son. I pray, Lord, that as they leave here today, they go knowing that your Spirit is with them, that you've not left them alone, and that the bottom line goal is Jesus. Let them see Jesus being formed in their own hearts, and let us see Jesus at work in their lives. We pray this, Lord, not just for their benefit, but primarily for your glory. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.